Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. Conversations on key issues and new developments in financial services in Ireland. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. My name is Claire Scannell and I am the professional support lawyer to Matheson's Financial Institutions Group. I'm joined today by my colleague, partner, Ian O'Mara, also the Financial Institutions Group. Hi, Ian. Hi, Claire. Delighted to be here. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the proposal published by the European Commission in June this year for a third iteration of the Payment Service Directive, PSD3, which is aimed at modernising the legal and regulatory framework underpinning payments in the EU. So, Ian, before we get into the proposal itself, it might really be useful to our listeners if we give them a sense of why this proposal has been put forward. Is PSD2 not still a relatively young piece of legislation. I mean, transposition deadline was only January 2018. Yeah, I suppose the, the, the challenge with payment services laws in Europe is that by the time they're finalised, they're often out of date. And, and so the difficulty with PSD2 is that, yes, it, was, it only came into force in 2018, but the rules were finalised effectively in 2015. And a lot has changed in the intervening eight years since then. So it's very welcome that the European Commission has sought to refresh the legal framework because this is an area of financial services that is constantly evolving. New business models are emerging the whole time and new risks are also arising. So, you know, it's very welcome to have this evolution. It's worth saying as well, you know, the output of PST3 that was published in June of this year is the culmination of a couple of years of detailed policy work done by the European Commission. They did a review of the retail payments sector in 2020 and they wanted to see, you know, how the payments industry should work for, you know, consumers and small businesses across the common market. So that's informed some of the policy making here. They also asked the European Banking Authority, which is a technical EU agency, to do a very detailed study on what parts of PST2 were working properly and what areas needed to be reformed or revised and make recommendations for change. So you kind of have the, the, the twin track of technical advice on what could be done to make the law better, but also the policy work in terms of, you know, what changes could be made to make the uptake and efficiency of payment services in Europe as good as it possibly can be. So that's the context there, Claire. Okay, I mean, that, that sounds like it's very considered, Ian. And I think, you know, having the, that context really is very helpful to understanding the actual detail in the proposal itself then. Building on this, could you maybe take us through the actual structure that's proposed? I mean, for the first time, we have a regulation alongside a directive. We haven't seen this in this particular context before. So what was the thinking there? Yeah, so I suppose, although it's called PSD3, which sounds like a directive, it actually is a directive and a regulation. And just... For those who don't know, directives have to be typically copied and pasted into national law for them to become effective. Whereas regulations, once they're finalised by the EU, just have direct effect. So it's not necessary for each member state to update its law to align with a regulation. So what, what's interesting here is that the EU Commission wants certain provisions, particularly those around the scope of what a payment service is, payment service is and also the conduct obligations that apply when a payment service provider is giving service to its customers. It wants those obligations to be set out in the regulation. The reason being that if it's set out in a regulation, it's not open to countries to go place or bury those rules and hopefully it will achieve a more level playing field in terms of consumer protection and so on uh, by having it done in that manner. 
in the other half of the PSD3 directive, then we have the actual directive. And that's going to be a lot more slimmed down in terms of the length of the documents compared to PSD2. That'll cover off things like the authorization and supervision rules for firms carrying on business in this sector. So that's the approach that's been taken. Okay, I suppose we've seen that with other sectors like the MIFID and, and so on. So there, there's definitely a, a track record there to, to plug and play, if you like. When you read about PST3, Ian, a lot of commentary leads with the impact on e-money institutions. What's the plan on that front? Yes, yeah, so the plan there is to revise and repeal the e-money directive. Essentially, this is a 2009 law which has sat alongside the payment services framework for the last 15 years or so. The policymakers have recognised that having two related but separate laws isn't very helpful. And really what they want to do is merge the, the, the two frameworks into the new payment services three directive. So I think that would be very welcome for a lot of firms that have e-money licences in Europe. I suppose what's very interesting here as well is that the concept of an e-money institution, which is a firm that's able to both issue e-money, but also to do payment services under PSD2, that category of, of authorization will no longer be in existence once PSD3 comes into force. Instead, what we're going to have is just a single category of payment service provider called payment institutions. And payment institutions will have their permissions determined by the PSD3. And importantly, e-money issuing activity will still be covered as a permission, but you will no longer be called an e-money institution. So to sum it up, Claire, you know, we're going to have the demise of the e-money institution, but the concept of e-money will continue under PST3. Okay, so good clarity there for firms and, and, and efficiencies obviously to be gained through that process. Whenever a proposal to revise existing legislation is published, Ian, you know, one of the primary concerns for firms already caught within the existing legislation is, are there grandfathering and transition arrangements? And more specifically, will there be an obligation on them to become reauthorised? Have we any early indications on, on that particular point? Yeah, so, I mean, the directive itself is going to be a couple of years before it's finalised, okay? But once it is finalised, the text suggests that there will be 18 months lead-in for regulators to get ready. And then there's going to be a further 12-month period for firms authorised under PST2 to become reauthorised under PST3. So there's potentially a year-long process there for firms where they're going to have to engage with their regulator and answer any questions asked in order to continue doing what they're already doing under the new framework. I suppose, though, when you consider this point, you have to see what's actually changing in terms of the authorization requirements for firms under PSD3. And when you compare it against PSD2, there isn't a huge amount of new, new material required in order to obtain an authorization for firms that are already authorized. The couple areas of interest I would say to firms listing in is, you know, you need to have a wind down plan. You need to be able to, to demonstrate your compliance with the Digital Operational Resilience Act. And also you need to have documented data protection impact assessments for, say, transfers of, of customer card data and so on. In practice, a lot of firms that are already authorised under PSD2 will have had to do a lot of that stuff already. They might not have had to exhibit it formally to the regulator to get their authorization. But we know in practice, nearly every firm in Ireland, at least, would have a lot of these things already in place. So 
I mean, it's never welcome to have to invite a regulator to, you know, pour all over your business model during an authorization period. That's never pleasant. But having said that, there shouldn't be huge new gaps for firms to have to, to fix in order to be reauthorized under PSD3. Okay, so that, that, that's welcome news for a lot of the yeah. people listening. I suppose the other side of that coin, Ian, is what about firms that are currently outside the scope of the regulatory parameter of PSD2? Do we expect the scope of PSD3 will trigger an authorization requirement for firms that are currently not required to be authorized? Yeah, well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the payment services regulation is trying to harmonize the interpretation of certain parts of the payment services framework. And the scope provisions are now moving into the payment services regulation. When you actually read them, there hasn't been a huge amount of difference or departure from what's set out in PSD2. So they, they broadly remain the same as before. Where the difference, though, is, is that it's around the interpretation of these exemptions and scope wordings. The European Banking Authority is going to be empowered to issue guidance on the interpretation of some of these exemptions. And I think that's where we're going to see the change. So that the regulatory perimeter isn't really changing, strictly speaking, from a legal perspective, but it's the regulatory interpretation of those rules that is potentially going to change. The area I think that is going to be most affected by this is the sort of commercial online marketplaces. You know, there's a lot of firms relying on what they call the commercial agent exemption under PSD2 at present. This exemption allows them to, you know, process payments for either payers or payees, provided that they're not acting for both sides simultaneously. And it's an exemption which I think has probably been much abused by different firms across the European Union, or if not abused, certainly, you know, in various interpretations have been taken on that. And I've actually said personally to a number of my clients over the last few years, like this is an area that's going to be under scrutiny in the years to come. You know, you need to be reviewing your licensing strategy for Europe if you're continuing to place reliance on this exemption, because it's undoubtedly only going to be tightened up in, in the coming period. Okay, so one to watch there, certainly with the EBA over the coming period of time, of course, once the, the directive and regulation are, are actually finalised, we might turn our focus now into some of the areas where there have been changes made to the current requirements. For example, I understand that the updated safeguarding provisions in one particular area you would like to raise. What do those changes mean in practical terms? Yeah, so safeguarding is one of the, the critical processes that a payment institution needs to be on top of once it's authorised as a payment service provider. The challenge here is to make sure that client money is being well managed and is ring-fenced from the funds of other creditors of the firm in an insolvency situation. PSD2 is very high level in, in terms of setting out the safeguarding provisions that apply to firms in this sector. And what's interesting now is that in PSD3, there's going to be a role for the European Banking Authority again to set out more guidance in terms of what safeguarding frameworks should look like. So you can imagine the high level detail set out in the law is going to be supplemented by probably very detailed regulatory guidance issued by the EBA. Having said that, while that's extremely welcome, again, I would say certainly in the Irish context, at least it's not going to potentially be a huge game changer in the sense that Central Bank of Ireland is already very focused on this topic with firms that it supervises. Firms this year have already had to do significant work in terms of uplifting their safeguarding frameworks and, you know, get external audits done on those processes as well. So 
certainly in Ireland at least, you know, you wouldn't expect there to be a huge change from safeguarding perspective. But nonetheless, it's very welcome to have these rules clarified at EU level and it'll just help make a level playing field across Europe. The other area I think that's of interest as well is that the PSC3 wants firms to consider the concentration risk that might arise from putting all their safeguarding eggs in one basket, so to speak. You know, very often firms just use one bank to hold all their client money or they might only use one safeguarding method when the law theoretically at least allows for a number of methods to be used. So, you know, it's just interesting to see there'll be a greater push on now for firms to diversify their safeguarding methods. Okay, thanks. So again, level two clarifications needed and that bigger focus on concentration risk. We've seen an ever-growing focus on the protection of consumers right across financial services in recent years. And, and we see that very particularly here in Ireland at the moment with the CPC review. It seems PSD3 is no exception to this. Could you maybe give us a sense of what the key changes are that are proposed and, and what the implications of those would be to firms? Yeah, so a, a lot of the consumer protection requirements are going to remain as before, but there are definitely some very interesting innovations in PST3. One in particular I think is noteworthy is the rise of obligations for firms to have anti-fraud prevention programs in place. You know, one thing we've seen in the last few years since PST2 came about was the rise of strong customer authentication. And that has generally meant a lot of card payments and electronic payments in Europe have become much more secure and the risk of payment fraud reduced, which in turn then has, has encouraged fraudsters to become more creative. And what we see increasingly in the news every day, you know, not a week goes by where you don't hear some sad story, is it's cases of authorised push payment fraud. Mm. These are situations where a customer has unwittingly authorised correctly a payment of, of a large sum of money to a fraudster often through social engineering tactics or, you know, scam text messages. And as it stands, the law doesn't give any liability obligations on payment service providers involved in those situations. The liability rests with the customer because they correctly authorised the payment concerned. So it's interesting to see now the law is trying to catch up with that new trend. And, you know, what it's trying to do is bring about enhanced obligations on transaction monitoring, on making sure that customers are advised if a, an IBAN doesn't actually match up with the name of the person that they think they're transferring money to. And there needs to be greater focus on fraud prevention campaigns and also staff training. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting work there done by the PST3 proposal. And I think it will be, obviously needs to be refined further, but I, but I think it will be a very interesting area. And I think it will be something that consumers will welcome very strongly. Yeah, absolutely. But will obviously mean a big uplift on, on compliance procedures for these firms. Ian, thanks so much for your insights today. I, I expect listeners will have found it really very useful. PSD3 proposals will progress over the coming months as they go through the various stages. Financial institutions, groups, weekly top five at five email will monitor these developments. So do keep an eye out for these. I just like to remind people of the Financial Institutions Group Top 5 at 5 email. It's a complimentary weekly subscription service where our subject matter experts highlight five of the previous week's key financial services developments. So 
If you're not subscribed and you would like to be, please reach out to myself or Ian and we will have you added to that list. And indeed, if you have any questions on today's episode, uh, please reach out. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. For more information on issues raised in this podcast or for any general queries, you can contact claire.scannell at matheson.com or ian.omara at matheson.com.